Number seven media production. Welcome to the Biz Crush podcast series where I interview successful South African entrepreneurs and movers and shakers in order to extract practical advice on succeeding in business and life. I'm your host, Jacques Passant. And remember, if you prefer Afrikaans, check out Clipco's podcast series. Doing something great. This is Yaron Asabi's mission in life. As a proud cancer survivor, Asabi is an entrepreneur who's passionate about ICT. The Digital Solutions Group, established in 1998, was his brainchild. PSG specializes in relationship marketing solutions. The art of relationship marketing, says Asabi, is about having real relationships. As was the case with his fight against cancer, Asabi also believes that one has to be resilient and have the necessary tenacity to make it in business. Most of all, however, you need to keep things exciting and have fun. Recently, he decided to keep people happy and created an ice cream bar. podcast series we, we, we're producing, I find that uh, almost like the tin sound uh, drives authenticity. Mm-hmm. It's like there's, a, there's almost a narrative, it's got its place in the studio. You don't want to sound like you're doing narrative in your garage, right? But when you, this conversation is like, yeah, Jacques's there, he's in Yaron's <laughs> office. But anyway, it's lovely to be here. But let, I quickly Thank want you. to jump in, we're going to do this the uh, weird way around. Yeah. I asked you the question we were talking about. You asked me whether, you know, so it's, it's audio only, and we talked about visual versus audio. Yeah. But you, you've mentioned an interesting thing about visual. Yeah, so, uh, you know, we've, we find that video has become a big part of the internet. And uh, YouTube t- consumes, a lot of consumers' uh, screen time is consumed by, by YouTube and visual. But, but what was interesting, I'm, I'm sure you, I mentioned to you that I sit on the board of the... MMA, which is not mixed martial arts, but rather the uh, Modern Marketing Association. (laughs) Association. Used to be the Mobile Marketing Association, but because it's beyond mobile now, it's Modern Marketing Association. And and they've done an amazing piece of research with their attention spans, fraction of seconds, you know, with the youth. And and we talk about the visual web, about the fact that if there's no image or there isn't a video, the content may not get consumed, and we talk about content snacking, which is quite an interesting term. It's like a TikTok phenomenon. The yeah, old TikTok phenomenon it's, it's, is a it's, form of snacking. It's what's Instagram and TikTok, and like I think that the kind of behavior of the youth, um, I'm not condoning it or promoting it, is one where it's very visual. If it's not there, you don't capture my attention span right then. Yeah, then yeah. I'm going to lose interest and I'm going to scroll on. You know, and 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 because of that, we're seeing. Um, you know, even in a business-to-business environment, but primarily in a business-to-consumer environment, very small pieces of content being consumed, you know? Like the TED format uh, of a TED talk compared to a movie is becoming more popular. People prefer to go onto TED, listen to talks, you know, in 18 minutes, you know, it's quite mm. a nice format as opposed to a full movie, you know, because I think that, uh, and, and with the youth, it's even worse. I think I think the attention span is like a minute, you know, so- like 30 seconds, and if. This is fascinating. I mean, because you're sitting with, with, I guess I've got two questions. So number one, yes, youth B2C. So, mm. so give me an example of how that would look like in a B2B environment. That's yeah. the first question. Second question, older folks, 
or less young, <laughs> um, listening. Because, I mean, it's fascinating that YouTube is now the biggest listening channel. Well. Sure. So you're talking about visual, but at the same time... People listen to it listen while to they drive things. and they do all kinds of yeah. things. Yeah, so, sure. so, is it, so, so unpack the B2B as, as far as... How, how would that look? Yeah, so, so I, th I think f f a lot of um, corporates are now, especially due to the pandemic have looked at webinars as a way of uh, getting their content out there. It's no longer about uh, just having a big, you know, boss parat and going out and, you know, and, and, and doing big events for clients, even though the social element, a lot of people, when I do, um, you know, these days maybe attend hybrid events, are saying yes. that they're missing the, the networking. They're, yes. they're missing, you know, the, the camaraderie that comes mm -hmm. with the ability to actually challenge somebody and talk to them about it and everything else. And they find that maybe internet is a bit impersonal, but yes. we finding that webinars from a B2B perspective, which are visual, you know, are very, very helpful in educating customers. And we certainly did like nine last year. You know, so it's almost like they've, they've, I wouldn't say they've come full circle, but I mean, yeah. webinars is not, it, it's a bit old news, I guess, from an e-commerce yeah. standpoint. I mean, going back six, seven years, right? right? But now it's become this like, it's not a nice to have. It's, a, from, from a it, it's the way brands find from a B2B perspective that they can communicate with their customers, they can show thought leadership, and they can still engage by a lot of people. I mean, uh, right now in corporate South Africa, I'm hearing from a lot of corporates that they want to move to online meetings only again because there's a rise in the pandemic and we're just being cautious, you know? Yes, so, yes. so I think that what's, what's actually happened, it's forced a certain kind of digital transformation to happen a lot faster. Yes. And, and maybe corporates would not look at webinars as an important tool. Now it's an essential tool because they can't get to do uh, physical it's meetings. A, it's, it's, a it's a digital water cooler in many ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what, what do you think will be the impact of that lack of, of interpersonal, the fact that I can look you in the eye, not read the room, or that ends... Look, you, I, personally you miss it. I personally miss it, and, and hence the office that you hear, as you know, is a WeWork environment for yeah. our group. You know, yeah. I'm inviting people to move away from hybrid because we have a hybrid environment yeah. to spending more time regularly in the office because I encourage the interpersonal skills and also getting out of your house is, I think, very good for you psychologically. And I think it's good for you to actually go and have a whiteboard session or an interaction or lunch or, you know, things like that. So certainly I think this is an important step forward and I think that this hybrid world is quite interesting because we're passing the power back to the employee to decide how much time they want to spend at home, how much time they want to spend at the office, where they want to do their meetings. I personally lead by example. I'm going to be traveling for the next six weeks in Greece, Israel, Egypt. I'm going to carry on working yep. as long as I've got my headsets in my ear and I've, I'm online. Yep. I can do three to four meetings, five meetings a day and still have fun while I'm overseas. Yes. You know? Just like I would be in South Africa, but I'm just changing my lifestyle a bit. It's cold here. I want to go to summer. Yep. <laughs> Bloody cold. <laughs> you know, I, want, I also feel that this is one of the liberating things that happened post the pandemic and, and, and you should take advantage of it. So if I could be rather on the beach in Greece, you know, yes. doing my meetings, you know, I think my meetings will be a lot better, you know. And, I, I think and, so too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. My focus is, is a lot better. So, you know, this whole digital transformation has been very, very good, I think, and, and liberating. 
for a lot of people. You know, driving, so much time. I mean, a lot of people enjoy the drive to the office, having said that, because it gives them an opportunity to kind of like decompress, you know, from their day. While well, listen driving. to podcasts. I mean, listen listen to if podcasts. I look at it, we, we've got usually a spike at 5 p.m. Yeah. You know, it's going Exactly. Home, you know, so. Exactly. Exactly. And, and I think it's great that, that people enjoy the downtime and I, I'm not saying anything is a replacement I'm just saying you have to reinvent yourself mm-hmm. to remain relevant mm-hmm. with the times that are happening yeah. and, and by doing that I think podcasts are very relevant mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm, I think it's great I love that format I personally listen to a lot of yeah, podcasts yeah. I've gone to Mind Valley. Mm-hmm. I listen to a lot of tech podcasts I enjoy webinars because I don't always attend the webinar at the time that the webinars are so because I'm often in meetings but it's that on demand capability mm-hmm. to then snack on the content later and be able to kind of uh, maybe something resonated with me and I want to dive deeper into it and, and, and research it, which is really, really great. So, so before, I, and I want to, normally I start with, with your story and we're going to get to that. So I've, I've literally, <laughs> uh, you know, the, put the, the, the horse in front of the, the, the car in front of the, the horse. The horse. <laughs> the, um, so that's snacking. So remember, before I press record, we, yeah. I, I mentioned uh, the agricultural guys, uh, great yeah. essay, and I talked about that repackaging of content. Yeah. I mean, it's. Uh, what's your opinion on the fact that now there's a two-hour mind-numbing webinar? Yeah. And now I missed it, and I need to know what was the essence of it. Are we going to get to that point where you have that infographic, that executive summary? How do you see that? Is that something that you need a bit of elbow grease to achieve that, or is there technology that, that can? Time for a did you know insert. Artificial intelligence has already transformed the way most enterprises analyze and process information. Companies are deploying AI technologies to boost efficiency, reduce costs and grow profitability. The technology also reduces marketing waste by predicting what works. It is arguably the innovation that has had the most profound impact in our lifetime. AI has, according to estimates, created almost $3 trillion in business value and more than 6 billion hours of worker productivity globally last year. Enterprises that benefit most are those that implement AI in functions such as sales management, customer service, manufacturing and logistics. Amazing is you know we we run quite a big outsource contact center business and we help customers with their customer experience strategy and where we're using artificial intelligence and machine learning right now is to listen to conversations in the contact center okay that have have happened to try and gauge the emotional sentiment of the customer and try and see how well we're doing with that conversation and pick up any issues, which is quite interesting because when you do a big volume of calls, I mean, our group handles two and a half million interactions a month. That's quite a lot of interactions. You need to be able to, I mean, that's right now and we're growing all the time, taking on more customers. So, you know, I really think that um, it's it's quite important to be able to understand that. And, And if you take that kind of thinking of taking the salient points of the podcast... Uh, with machine learning and artificial intelligence, 
I think it would be possible, but you would still need to have an editor or somebody mm. that would listen to it, that would add the intelligence of summarizing it, maybe yes, into yes. an infographic or maybe like a, as a transcript. Um, uh, a lot of the time I've seen uh, uh, McKinsey, for example, send you a transcript of the conversation or whatever the case may be, and then maybe highlighting salient points you yes. know, that, that are important for you. But I, I certainly think technology is going to evolve, and I think that the way we consume content is quite interesting because we're spending more money on digital content these days than we've ever spent before because it was just not available, right? Mm. So all of a sudden, this category has become quite important. What we watch, do we have a Netflix subscription and an Amazon Prime subscription? And hopefully everybody has a Showmax subscription so we support local yeah, you know, yeah. content and, yeah. and everything YouTube else. Premium. And, and, and YouTube yeah. Premium. And, and, and you know, people will have maybe, if they have an Apple, might have Apple Music. And, yeah. you know, so we're spending so much on digital content. I mean, if you, add, if you have all of those, you're already at like a couple of 300, 400 rand a month. You, know, you never used to spend that kind of discretionary income on you know, uh, content before. Yeah. So now we're very picky about the content that mm. we choose and what we're listening to. And we can do it often, as you say, with our, you know, headpieces in our, he- in our ears and, and we can like go and go for a run, yeah. you know, and, and really enjoy a great podcast and, and, and maybe listening to uh, a TED talk or, or whatever it is. And, and I think that the way people consume content has evolved, but it's really nice because it's, it's very, almost everything's available on demand now, you know, yes. <laughs> which when I grew up, that wasn't the case. I grew up with tape and you know, a CD and DVD, yeah, you know, yeah, and, yeah. I, and I, everything's digital. It's so easy. It's on demand. It's available. I, it always made sense that it's going to go this route, but it, I, I don't think... That was that a nightmare to rewind the bloody Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Play the song again. <laughs> exactly. My, I had a Walkman, you know, my yeah. Walkman was like my biggest asset, yeah. you know. I used to treasure it. You know, I mean, so that's it. You know, I mean, if you come from that era, era and you you see the evolution mm-hmm. of how content is being consumed and how digital has made it so accessible um, and so right now, you know, so immediate. You know, it's it's just great. You can almost listen to anything that you're interested in on demand. You know, so so I'm going to start with your story and then I'm, I'm going to circle back to we, we talked about. Age. I want to talk about the silver surface. Okay. An interesting article I recently read <laughs> about the silver surface, uh, about their disposable income, and the fact that 75% of them might have one app downloaded. So it's more the trip down memory, memory lane component, yeah. which, which I find it, myself very sentimental. So yeah. that, that to me is incredible about technology. Anyway, please tell us your story. Where, where, where did you grow up? Where were you born? Where did you grow up? What, what's the journey? Where are we sitting at? Okay, so I've got quite a diverse uh, background. I was born in the UK in Watford, in London. Um, so I've got a British passport. Did we did we talk about the Watford connection at the time? Because the first place we ever lived in London was Bushy. Yeah, that's it. We, we shot, and, and I told you that I was born in Bushy maternity. That's right. That's right. And we were yes, and we got and, we, and I think George Michael's from Bushy. And Elton <laughs> exactly. John is from Pinner. You know, it's that whole Northwest London thing. Exactly. Yeah. So I was born in Bushy maternity in, in 1970. Um, yeah, and um, uh, my father was studying to be a rabbi in the UK at the time, which is quite an interesting upbringing, and uh, we. Golders uh, Green, where's yeah, where's, yeah. So, so he was a rabbi in Golders Green, and then uh, we decided as a family to move back to Israel when I was three years old. So I grew up in Israel. My first language 
was English, but I guess very quickly became Hebrew, you know, at that age, you know. And, and it just uh, absorbed so easily because it's, exactly. it's, it's, it's not a simple language. Yeah, so when I came to South Africa when I was 15, I mean, I had to learn English, you know. I had school English, but I didn't have great English, you know, and I was taking English as second language as, as at the American yeah. International School. Why, why did you? So my dad was offered a job as a rabbi here. Um, my late mother passed a year a couple of years before and you know it was a good change of environment for us as a family to actually get up and move to a different country and new things and uh, it was uh, it was quite a uh, a nice change actually um but to be honest i didn't like south africa at that point at all. what what, it, what was it was there obviously missing your bags or, or was it just it was a bit backwards in terms of everything and especially apartheid was rife those days you know so it was it were was, you here in Joburg I was here in Johannesburg yeah so 1985 yeah it's in the slab bang in the middle slab of all the, the action of, yeah, yeah, of yeah. the action and I went to an American school and uh, a lot of the kids that went to those schools that uh, got 14 different nationalities were South African black kids that wanted to go and study in the US you know and they were very interested in and, and studying in the U.S. And, and moving out of here. So, you know, I, I used to go and visit a friend of mine during apartheid days in Phosphorus, and he used to come and visit me and come to the to the shul on a Friday night. You know? wow. so, it's like during apartheid days, that was pretty out there. Yeah. You know? So um, I, I ended up actually leaving South Africa uh, in 1990. And uh, no, uh, 19, yeah, 1990, and going to live in the U.S. I went to live in Miami, Florida. And I played volleyball professionally on the beach of South Africa and uh, volleyball. Wow. Uh, yeah, champion school. Well, you so. built like a volleyball. You're <laughs> taller, you. lean, and, uh, and mean. What, what uh, was that the big drive for the States? Uh, yeah, my volleyball partner was American. Okay. He, he was living in Miami at the time and he said, I need, I need my volleyball partner. Yeah, yeah. so it, was, it wasn't a difficult. I, I can think of uh, much 19, bigger problems. Yeah, at oh, 19, you, you know, you, you're still fit and you're thinking, okay, well, let me go and enjoy myself. And nothing wrong with playing volleyball on the beach and Miami Beach oh, for, for a couple, of, couple oh, of years. Fantastic. Yeah, it was fantastic. Good experience. I worked for a South African guy in technology, and that's how I got into the technology space, actually, while I was living in the U.S. Is it, is it, is it um, presumptuous to assume that, and given one of the best business books I've, I've read, my top five, The Startup Nation, yeah. that, you know, you've got, what's about 2,300 Israeli companies on the NASDAQ. Is it, is it, can you just assume that any Israeli... Oak understands technology, <laughs> or is that, is that just like I said, presumptions? Or? No, I think I think there's a huge emphasis on technology and innovation in Israel because it's such a small country and it's surrounded by um, many Arab countries. And generally, you know, we all want peace and we're all tired of what's going on. But at the end of the day, you're still under threat. You know, and that drives the threat, innovation. Yeah, that, that, that pressure cooker. When you have the, threat, you know, the pressure cooker, you need to be innovative all the time, especially in the military. And military is obviously driven by tech. Yes. And uh, therefore, there's a, a unit in the Israeli army called 8200. It's an intelligence unit. If you come from that unit, I would say you would generally be a startup founder wow. of a tech company because they're very huge emphasis on the best technology in the world. And and a lot of the tech founders that I work with, Israeli companies that we represent here in Africa. Um, come from 8200. Some of the salespeople even come from that unit. Wow. Uh, it's just amazing the, the technology culture. You know, because you have to do the army in Israel. Yes. Uh, you know, so women do two years, men do yes. three years. Uh, three years. Three, three years. years. Wow. And if, if what they do is they encourage you if you want to uh, sign up 
and, and study, they'll give you the best technology, but then you sign up for an extra year, maybe, or an extra two years okay. with the army. You get, you get obviously promoted, okay, uh, but you do sign up for extra years. And as you know, in, in Israel, is one of the only countries in the world where every year you have to give 60 days, 30 to 60 days. Yes, I think it's in the biggest reserve yeah. army in the world because I think you do it, what, up until your 40s well, or something. Well, you've got to keep in shape and you've got to keep your knowledge and you've got to keep everything else. I think with that kind of discipline, you do have a lot more companies that are born from or tech startups that are born from the Israeli army co-founders that were in the special units or, you know and, and came up with a great idea maybe while they were in the military yes. like Waze started that way you know Waze was oh, actually yeah. uh, and a whole bunch of guys that worked together in the army uh, sold to Google for over a billion dollars 1.3 billion dollars but they built location based technology that was unbelievable in the army built a lot of experience and then came up with a commercial idea when they left the army and that's how a lot of the kind of uh, technology startups uh, are born yeah but also the Israeli culture I mean you, you guys are ironically you strike me as almost like the uh, if, you, if you look at special forces you know a Navy SEAL or any special forces they're the, they're the rebels of an army they're not like a normal officer but it's like the whole is Israel is like <laughs> special forces like a rebel it's almost like a, a disciplined rebel don't conform, you know, don't mess me around, I'll, I'll say it like it is. I mean, that, yeah. that in a way, but that is very, uh, I, I guess, perfect for entrepreneurial mindset culture. Uh, uh, it's yeah, perfect for startup culture. Exactly, exactly. And I think the, 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 the also uh, the ability for you to go very easily and launch your company on the NASDAQ because government has done a lot of work in building an amazing relationship you know, to promote South African startups. I mean, uh, Israeli, Israeli, Israeli startups. Uh, you know, and and I think they do a great job. Literally, probably the the, the Israeli uh, you know foreign minister, uh, kind of representative in New York, is probably more of a businessman than anything else. He's a deal maker. Mm. You know, and when you have that kind of mentality. And then we've seen Department of Trade and Industry also promoting South Africa. For example, we're in the contact center space as a contact center destination and doing lots of investment into doing this. I think Israel happens to be really, really good at it. South Africa is also starting to, I think, uh, promote South Africa as much as possible uh, to the rest of the world. I mean, why? Why? I mean, I guess I have, I, I have my thoughts on it, but I always say South Africa should have been... India from an outsource perspective. I always, you know, I look back over the years with the UK banks outsourcing to India, whether it's iTech, call centers, what have you. It's like we've got that cultural, I mean, there's so many similarities, time zones, etc. but you need to be negotiating at, at a government level and doing the deals. What, what, uh, why don't we see more of an Hollywood, for example, what we have in Western Cape? I, I guess that's almost best in class what you guys are doing. We've got these pockets of excellence where we, you know, that, well, where we can export in many ways uh, our, our technology and yeah. our services. Yeah. So Why being, don't we see more of that? Yeah, so actually this is a very good question to ask, especially in June during Youth Month, uh, where we know there's such a huge unemployment in South Africa, especially in the youth, okay? I think it's as bad as 50%. Um, at the youth, which is a, a huge problem. Mm. And, you know, as Africa generally has got a young population. So we very pride ourselves at DSG. DSG stands for Digital Solutions Group, which is the company I started in 1998, um, but also stands for doing something great. Uh -huh. We pride ourselves in doing something great and creating jobs for youth. 
Yeah. And to talk about contact centers, this is a perfect opportunity to create employment for youth. And you're absolutely right. That's India was very successful and the Philippines. But I'm very proud to say that South Africa now, it was voted twice now, number one contact center outsource destination in the world. Wow. Um, so so, so we, it's we're, building, we're building momentum. We're building momentum. We have some amazing customers like Nando's that we do in, in not only in South Africa but India. So mostly people outsource their contact centers to India. We handle Nando's India here in South wow. Africa, the common customer care perspective. Yeah. We handle Middle East. Okay, and we just won the best outsource partnership together between Nando's and DSG in Europe, Middle East and Africa. It's so it's really working well. And you know, if you can uh, showcase some great examples like this to international customers, you can attract a lot of international customers. We are working with Nando's as a global organization in the UK and Australia and New Zealand at the moment as well. And uh, I think there's a big opportunity in this space to create meaningful jobs um, for youth, uh, starting with contact centers, which are actually a good breathing ground for talent, but then ideally building a career path for, the, mm. for them within the ICT industry as a whole. Mm. So, for example, what we do at DSG, we also have a cybersecurity business called Digital Resilience, and we, there's three and a half million unfilled jobs globally in cybersecurity. Good heavens. Okay. I mean, that is ridiculous. Crazy. Imagine being able to create capacity because there's so much need yeah. here yeah. in Africa to serve the African requirements, but also support the global requirements. Yes. And because of the parity or the disparity around, uh, you know, kind of earnings and, and the fact that we earn a lot less on this side of the world, we can be more competitive. Just like India is very competitive with general IT services and yeah. BPO type services, South Africa is now caught up and has become a very good destination. From that perspective, we want to elevate it and be very focused on creating cybersecurity jobs. To give you an idea, in South Africa, a contact center agent will start at about four, five, six grand a month, yeah. you know, if they're really good and they're very technical, maybe doing like technical support and they've got an A plus and MCSE and MCSD, they might get like, you know, 15, 20 grand a month, you know, but a cybersecurity SOC analyst will start at like 18 grand and wow. go like level two will go to like 50 and level three, which are very difficult to get in this country, can earn up to a million rand a year. That's you know, incredible. because there's such a demand for those resources. So the career path is very clear. Imagine starting in, in, in a contact center doing technical services, learning while you are studying about cybersecurity, yeah. and then starting to practice and building a career in that space. I think it's an awesome opportunity uh, for um, South Africans. And, and we're very excited about onboarding uh, you know, youth that are interested in this career path to be able to help them grow into that space. That's incredible. It, it, it sounds, uh, the, the cybersecurity uh, example sounds very similar to what's happening with Salesforce in many ways. If you look at the starting salaries, I think Salesforce is creating two and, a, two and a half million jobs. I'm not sure. I think South Africa's got huge shortage of, of, of those skill sets. And again, these wonderful opportunities that can be developed here, but it, you can sit anywhere in the world uh, uh, for that matter and, and do the job. Absolutely. I mean, that's the other beauty of it, right? Yeah. You can sit anywhere in the world. Going back to you, to a point earlier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, so let's go back. So Miami uh, volleyball. Did you have? Um, Olymp Olympic aspirations or was it no it was more a fun thing I was quite lucky to meet on the volleyball court the person who gave me a job there because it's very difficult to get a job if you know a social security card in Miami so somebody did me a favor and gave me a job in technology I was selling PBXs to hotels and voicemail systems another South African so it was great um, and then how, how was that in hindsight how did that 
environment? Is it typical American? It's, it's easier to sell people are, or more, they're used to being sold to in, in many ways. I think America is like everywhere else. It's a very competitive environment. Miami is different to the rest of the U.S. and it's very difficult to generalize because it's got a huge South American influence, yes. you know, and the mayor's Cuban. You have, you're almost like so if you don't speak Spanish. Then. Yeah, if you don't speak Spanish in, in Miami, it's, it's, a, it's a problem, uh, you know. Uh, but... I think what's nice about it is that uh, immigration is quite tough, you know, and, uh, but as you say, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a very um, capitalistic environment, um, and if, you have a, if you're ambitious and you're starting up, it's a great place to pay your school fees. I really enjoyed uh, my working career there mm-hmm. uh, for a short while, um, and then decided to move to the UK for the, for the obvious reasons that I wasn't going to you know, stay in the, U- in the U.S. and apply for a social security card and, 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 and become American. So this, I was born in the U.K. It was easy to just open the newspaper and get a job there. Of course. And then I came back to South Africa um, after Nelson Mandela was actually released, like in, in the early 2000s, um, you know, and uh, sorry, even Nin- earlier. Uh, uh, 90s. Yeah. 90s, the yeah. early 90s. Yeah. Uh, so after 92, 93, something like that. Um, and uh, why, why didn't the UK appeal? I mean, other than, than the weather, <laughs> I was doing really well. It was primarily the weather. It was cold, you know, in the morning. Well, yeah, you, you were in London. Yeah, I was. I was living in West Hampstead, and I was working in Ladbroke Grove. And you know, the 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 if if you put a lot of hours in and you get up early in the morning, which I enjoyed doing. Um, you know, it's dark. And mm. By the time you get back from work, and you, it's dark, still dark. dark again. <laughs> so you almost feel like you're living in the dark ages. And when you come to sunny South Africa after a holiday, and there was beautiful winds of change in South Africa at the time, and just really missed the sunshine and the great people mm-hmm. and the environment. And after being here on holiday, decided to go back to the UK, sell everything and come back and live in South Africa. I was offered a job while I was here. And I came back to, to South Africa and uh, I think it was 93, something like that. And then um, in 98, September, I started DSG. So I worked for a few corporates. So, okay. so where did the entrepreneurial spirit, did you always knew, were just buying time? Was no, it just I actually started always. I mean, I, I delivered fruits and vegetables when I was like nine years old in Israel. They have a very strong discipline about work, you know. And then so you've got to do something. You've got to do something. And you want to earn extra pocket money and you want to do all of these things. So, so I mean, I've worked since I was really young. And then uh, when I came to South Africa, I continued with the same work ethic and I was waiting on tables and uh, through my varsity. And I also built a business at university selling jackets and, and taxi stations. Wow. Um, and how, how, did, how did you spot that gap at the time? A friend of mine met somebody that was wholesaling and we decided to clean these jackets, make them look really, really nice. Uh, I think we were buying for seven, eight rand a jacket, selling for like 35. And Good then heavens. if you took consignment stock from us, oh, well, we had to clean them and we had to invest a little bit in the business. Yeah. But we had students all around the country actually eventually selling those jackets for us, doing really well. And at the taxi uh, rent. At the taxi ranks, as the guys would get their weekly pay, I'd literally stand on my on, on the boot and shout, "Bachi, thirty-five rand, have a look. This one's too nice for your nunu, for your spalala, <laughs> you know." And uh, I still remember all of these kind of kind of kind of like uh, trying trying to speak the tal and 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 be connected, you know, with the people with the audience that we were selling to and. It worked really well at the beginning. I was selling myself, then obviously taught a whole bunch of people, and then eventually we were just all floating jackets. And so since I was 17, I, you know, at the time, I mean, I've always been in business. I've always loved business. 
Um, and I'm very um, passionate about it. I don't feel like I've worked a day in my life. So I think if you can have fun, yes. you know, while you're working, that's really, really important, you know, and, and you've got to love what you're doing. Yeah. So, 98, this yeah. opportunity. So how did... So I was give us a snapshot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so I came back. I worked for a few uh, public companies uh, and running their telecoms divisions because I carried on with ICT, information communication technology. And um, then I started my own business consulting. UC, it was called UC Solutions in, in 95. How do you start a consultancy business? I mean, back then compared to now, what, is, it, is it important to have that, you know, the little black book, how, how do you have that? I mean, you know, I'm thinking because we're living in an age where every Dick, Tom, and Harry is a, is a personal coach, or, or yeah. <laughs> they're 20 years old type thing. What, yeah. How do you become that? You so, because I was quite ahead of the time when it came to technology in terms of my experience from the UK and the US when I came in here, I could see trends that haven't materialized yet in the technology space. And a lot of the big to the future, to an Yeah, yeah. So, 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 a lot of the corporates in South Africa enjoyed. Uh, my forward thinking when it came to the technology architecture and especially when it came to customer experience and, and contact centers, that was my focus. I helped design a lot of the big contact centers here in South Africa and then landed up starting my own to support a business called digitalmall.com in 1998. So I wanted to, to, the reason I started Digital Mall is because I wanted to make money while I sleep rather than was sell this, time. This was a precursor to Amazon, is it? No, Amazon was already around. I actually started digitalmall.com because I bought a book from Amazon.com. I see. Had such a great experience. Okay. I felt, you know what, this book was just published in the US. I got it a couple of days later. It wasn't so, such a bad experience. Maybe I need to start something like this in South Africa. And because it didn't make sense to... Uh, we didn't have such a high penetra in internet penetration. There were maybe 50,000 people on the internet in the late 90s. Um, was I, it, what, what was it, Kalahari.net at the time? What yeah, was the Kalahari. other, I would say, the, the closest we had in South Africa? I mean, when, well, that yeah. was more yeah. beginning of 2000. Yeah, NASPERS launched Kalahari and then merged it into what's take a lot today. Yes, okay? yes. And at the same time, we, our model was slightly different. So Kalahari was an e-tailer. Yeah. They were buying straight from publishers and selling to uh, straight to, to the consumer. consumer. Okay. And, and it was a more of an Amazon model, where our model was more of an enabler, which is the theme of what the Digital Solutions Group still does today. We do this across multiple aspects as an enabler. Well, I want to sell books. I, I can, I, I, you I can use your... So our client, for example, was Wordsworth Books at the time. Okay. okay. And we were talking to Exclusive, and we did some work for Exclusive a little bit as well, but we primarily looked after Toys R Us and Stakinical and Macro and Incredible Connection and all those wow. big brands outsourced their e-commerce to us, if you like. Yeah. We worked with them. The shopping mall made sense because there were so few people on the internet they could all share traffic. Mm. So if I was coming to Macro to buy the latest, you know, deal on a single malt whiskey, you know, all of a sudden I'd say, oh, well, they've also got books here and they've also got this. So you get Across. that incidental mm. shopping and, mm. and all of that stuff. And, and that the, was the concept of Digital Mall when we started. Um, we then... Um, were approached by a Cape Town-based company because we were specialized in e-commerce and payments called iTouch in 2000 to buy a 50.01 stake in our business prior to their FTSE listing. Wow. So they sold us on this vision that we're going to be the first company in the world with mobile commerce and we're going to uh, build all of the technology for payment around WAP, which was wireless application protocol at the time. It was the first time internet was available on your mobile phone at 9.6 
kilobits per second, which made the world wide <laughs> wait even longer. Okay. And it we was thought, slow. We thought it was okay at that Yeah, if you remember those Nokia 7110s <laughs> yes. that you would roll and click and yeah, then yeah. wait, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and the screen was black and white, so you couldn't sell much. I mean, we yeah. sold flowers and gifts and chairs yeah. and things like that. But, I mean, it was very innovative. And what we were telling the market is that, you know, this mobile internet is going to grow and it's going to go from, from WAP to kind of GPRS and, mm-hmm. and from GPRS to Edge and from Edge to uh, 3G, 2G and then from 2G to 3G, 4G, we, 5G yeah. and, and we were showing all the speeds and proving, which is where we are now, okay, and saying that that's the only way people are going to pay is via their mobile, you know, and mm-hmm. it's all happening, which is quite nice 23 years later to see this evolution and live through it. What, what we've been through was a, a huge roller coaster ride. I mean, we literally listed on the FTSE in March 2000 pre the famous dot com crash three months later oh my god so we kind of skidded if you like we didn't know this at the time but obviously so we literally launched raised a a decent amount of money Money. iTouch raised 42.5 million pounds for 20% of iTouch out of which I think 12 million was attributed to their 50% stake in us so it was quite a good valuation for my little company at the time as well and then the idea was to take all the money that we raised open in Australia, New Zealand, the UK, and, and take South African technology to the rest of the world, which makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Okay? Once again, talking to the kind of disparity and kind of earnings, what you pay a developer here versus what you pay a developer in the UK at the yeah. time or whatever, we can develop cheaper here yes. and better. Yes. Okay? And that's what we were proving to the market. And we took our mobile payment and mobile commerce and, and digitalmall.com and launched it. Like we launched here in South Africa with Vodacom, we launched it with Vodafone in the UK, in Australia, New Zealand, uh, with uh, with in Ireland. We had a partner. Uh, we had a partner in Israel and France. So you know, we we kind of replicated the model. And then, yeah. unfortunately, when the market crashed, the share price lost a lot of value. And mm. over a period of eighteen months, we went from like seventy p when we listed the day of the listing to one pound twenty. And then within a couple of months, wow. and then it started crashing. And literally by November uh, t- 2001, the share price was trading at 17p, 1.7. Oh my so my, I looked at my team and, and we decided, look, this is not going to work. Let's yeah. do a management buyout. We made an offer. We bought the company back. And, you know, we refocused our business on Africa rather than the yes. rest of the world. And it will, as much as it was like a huge roller coaster ride, and we paid lots of good school fees. Now, mm. in hindsight, it's 2020, yes. you know, yeah, and I could yeah. learn a lot. Yeah. Obviously, I didn't enjoy it at the time because yes. you see your wealth kind of go uh, completely through the roof and then you lose everything and start all over again. I literally bought, uh, sold properties to buy my company back and rented for a while. Wow. So, as part of an entrepreneurial journey, you know, you it's do that, it. you know, and I'm very proud of the fact that today we self-funded and we you know yes. we've got quite a nice group of companies and um, you know we, we're expanding all over Africa but it was a good good experience to go through um, and we learned a lot and we certainly a lot smarter for it today and I think mm. we've got a much more resilient business today because of it so sure yeah. that yeah. that that's it's fascinating and very inspiring I've got a few questions for you so I think last time we spoke just a side note um, in 2000, I was uh, always I was forced down in Cape Town. I was I was with Coca-Cola, and they said uh, you need to go and we were just launching these new uh, non-carbs, uh, Minute Maid, uh, right. Bon Aqua, yeah. Play, the energy drink. So now you need to go and sort out 
Cape Town, you take it. I said, no, I don't like Cape Town. I said, no, you need to go to Cape Town. I said, no. And they said, we're going to fire your ass. You need to get to... I said, okay, I think Cape Town's a great idea. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I arrived there in April 2000. I didn't even know it was winter rainfall. I'm a free state boy, right? And I spent the last year, year in Parktown, actually just around the corner. Where, <laughs> and um, long story short, a mate of mine called me and he said, he's, he's an old lawyer, uh, he's a lawyer from, from Rez in, in, in Bloemfontein, and he said to me, listen, there's this company the shopping matrix, and they, they're selling shares. And I, I bought, I think it was four grand, right? Yeah. This was 2,000, 4,000 rands worth of shares because I thought at the time, looking at the shopping matrix's business model, I thought these guys are onto something. And in hindsight, of course, 2020, I think one of their problems with the different business model to yours was distribution. And I think that was another, we talk about technology holding back and, and expensive internet or slow expensive internet, but I think South Africa has is, is, is fixed that, uh, whether it be take a lot or uh, acquiring a uh, missed delivery, for example. Yeah, you know, I'm, just I'm, cheap. I'm quite cost. vocal about the fact that the, there's a missed opportunity in Africa because of logistics. Mm. And uh, if you look at Amazon today, they're a really great logistics company. Mm. You know, they, I mean, they are they're technically a logistics company, exactly, right? It's, exactly. It's, it's, they know how to buy. Like, like Coca Cola is a logistics company. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And if you look at, uh, at, at the way. Um, South Africa, from a, a, a geography perspective, it's a big continent, you know. And to sometimes get, you know, booked to profile is expensive, you know. Yes. How, how do you get it, you know? And and, and 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 you know, I think a lot of innovation in the last mile is going to come in the next couple of years because of the need to have connected commerce solutions uh, that that are relevant for this for this market. And I think that that's the big opportunity in Africa. Um, and we certainly, we relaunched digitalmall.com actually in 2020 due to the pandemic. And we built this business called You Freight Now, which is a 4PL business mm-hmm. that helps you manage and get the best quote for what you need to. So we use 18 different carriers. And, wow. You know, we really make decisions on the fly based on what you put it's, it's into like your It's like a proper hippo, yeah. like a, a, for, but just for, 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 for distribution. Fulfillment, yeah. yeah, yeah. Fulfillment. Um, and, and we're also busy focusing on the last mile because a lot of our customers at DSG are um, quick service restaurants. And, and I think that there's a big opportunity there to create jobs for youth, unemployed youth, once again, like we spoke about, being mm-hmm. youth month, uh, you know, in the last mile delivery. Why can't we introduce e-bikes and why can't we, um, you know, do something that's right for the environment, get, mm-hmm. get uh, students to be able to use an app and, and then, you know, uh, deliver uh, directly to consumer and, and maybe work for four hours, five hours like they do in the UK. You see the e-bikes everywhere. You see the guys on deli- doing deliveries. Why not? You know, it's a yes. big opportunity. And I think that uh, what we like to do at DSG being the digital solutions group is always understand where the biggest challenges are and take them head on and, and build solutions around those. Sure. Yeah. Love it. So before I forget, because I want to ask you about ICT, the evolution, and, and, and again, looking into the future, how far behind is SA. So that's uh, yeah. what's coming. Do you remember Dot Coza? Yeah, sure. That, when was that? Wasn't that 1989 when they yeah, locked, so, so they, they Chris, locked the, the guy time. in the house, yeah, right? Exactly. They, wasn't it the it's same shot? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Chris Bortel at that time. Yeah, yeah. 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 Chris Bortel was his name. What and happened he to that guy? What, no, yeah. he's become a huge guy in media, I think, and he's doing really well. Uh, but uh, at the time he was living, we had a grocery store, online grocery store called Click and Pay. We were actually, um, uh, you know, 
because pick and pan was and none of the big brands were ready to do it, it was the first time we took a smaller guy, not a big brand retailer, yes. and helped him with his, he had the distribution, he had a warehouse, he didn't have the buying power, uh, which we learned about later, uh, but, but he had the right idea and we really wanted to have a grocery store because it's one of those things where it's like so convenient to have your mm. groceries delivered, mm. it's like mm. a grudge purchase generally and also it's something that you get repeat purchase a lot, so the lifetime value of the customer and wallet share is yes. quite high, yes. you know, and it's important for you from an EUT income perspective when you're doing online shopping. So we launched Click and Pay. that lived on Click and Pay. He actually made us famous because wow. we, he was buying from Incredible and he was testing all of our online guys. And yes. because he was on radio and he was talking about Digital Mall so much, we were getting free publicity. So our innovation gave us a lot of free PR in South Africa and we didn't have to spend as much money on marketing as maybe some of the other guys because remember, we were dealing with the big brands normally that we already had their marketing budgets. Yes. This was their, their website, you know, mm-hmm. but it resided within Digital Mall. So it was a very, very clever concept uh, in the way we built it. And when we relaunched it, obviously, all these years later, everybody's already got very big e-commerce sites that they're now managing themselves. We, Our focus has actually changed now more towards SMEs and online services mm-hmm. and things that you know, we're not available on the market. Yes. So a lot of people were stuck in the pandemic, for example, and, you know, we offer remote support for your PC, your Mac, or your um, uh, mobile phone, iOS, or Android, or Huawei. And we can remotely support that from the contact center. During the pandemic, that was a very popular service mm-hmm. because a lot of people didn't want anybody coming to their house yes. or uh, they wouldn't go into a store to say, oh, something's now not working. Yeah. We launched these kind of services when we relaunched Digital Mall because we thought about the time. How do we become ready? relevant to consumers at the time that they stuck at home you know mm. so apart from having groceries delivered to your house and liquor and everything else that came you know was important at the time when you were allowed to sell liquor yeah, during yeah, the pandemic yeah. because obviously we were banned most yeah, of the yeah. time and actually it killed my online retail partner from a liquor perspective the guys we actually launched during the pandemic are no longer around because of that it was just too erratic for them you know this like switching on and off yes, and, yes. and all of that but today digital malls really focused on enabling SMEs and consumers to get a lot of digital type services and digital products on digitalmall.com, you know, as well as your traditional retail products as well. So there's a whole range of online services which make us very different. Technical support, uh, identity insurance from, from TransUnion, which is one of our clients. We have the ability for you to fight with your medical aid if they don't pay you a service called MediCheck, wow. you know, that they will actually go and get you money on your behalf from your medical aid. So we like the customer champion on Digital Mall, mm. and we try and make it as, as super user-friendly and, and become look after the customers that are our customers of digitalmall.com. But- but it sounds like you, you've, you've taken these, again, the B2B lessons and then bringing it back to the, the SME, the, the, the common man in the yeah. street type thing. Yeah. I mean, that, and that's powerful. I always use, a, I love to use Formula One examples. Yeah. It's, it's taking that Formula One technology and putting it in a, in a little polo. Almost exactly, right. exactly. And there's nothing wrong with offering like an amazing, in fact, the SMEs need it more than, than anybody because... Mm. Uh, you know, they generally don't have the resources that big corporates have. So what they need is somebody to look after their marketing, look after their e-commerce, their payment, their delivery. They want to go and make something great yes. uh, and go and sell it to customers. Yeah. Or, you know, whether they're, they're doing different, you know, gifting or whatever it is, it's their creation. They need to focus on that. We try and take all the headache of all the other ancillary services that are required to succeed. You need to be really good at your digital marketing. You need yeah. to be really good at your uh, payment, your 
slicker customer journey and experience and app. And a yeah. lot of these SMEs can't afford to build their own apps. So now they can be on digitalmall.com. That's one app. It exists. We build it on all the different operating systems and it makes their life much easier. Bob, Bob yeah. So it's, and we can literally enable them within a, a day or two if they've got all their content and you know photographs of all the images that they want to sell. And we build the delivery rules together and we train our call center people. So maybe within a couple of days, we can get them up and running and, and enable them. Yeah. How, how, does, how, do, how do you compare with, with Europe, America? I mean, what, do you have counterparts? Is, there, is, there, is, is this an opportunity to, yeah. to expand into those markets? What, what does it look like there at the yeah. moment? I think, I think the reason a lot of American companies, Israeli technology companies and UK companies partner with us is because of our great understanding of the African problems that require African solutions. Yes, yes. And we often go through an, a, a stage where we help, for example, one of the technologies that we've launched very successfully in South Africa is a technology called Zendrive. It's, it's an artificial intelligence machine learning um, uh, software development kit that you add inside your app and it allows you to monitor your behavior, your driving behavior of the driver. Now, what's unique about it is that Discovery Insure, for example, has got a solution that's hardware-based, or Mixed Telematics will have a solution, or, or NetStar, but they're all hardware-based. They plug it into the engine type. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they plug it into the, into the car, and then they start yes, uh, yes. tracking. Where Yeah, it's software only. It only resides inside your app. What, what that allows you to do is, God forbid, something happens to the individual and they're in an accident in somebody else's car, we'll still know about it, which is quite nice. So it's more of we looking after the human being rather than the asset of the vehicle, yes, yes, you know, yes. which is a really nice solution. We had to adapt that solution for the, the African requirements, you know, and, and teach Zendrive how to do business in South Africa. Mm. Uh, at DSG, we have a combination of our own intellectual property, the stuff that we built, like digitalmall.com and optional.me and a whole bunch of businesses that we've developed here, and we've developed the software and, 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 and the whole business model. But we also represent third parties, and often the third parties that we represent add a lot of value to our clients, and we combine their solutions into our solution. You know, so it's quite a nice way of being able to offer local first line support, yeah. local system integration skills, yeah. you know, uh, project management, account management, everything else. But we represent a lot of international technology mm. companies that add a lot of value to our arsenal of, of solutions that we have for our clients. Well, yeah. I mean, and that, that, that just really escalates your, your, your learning curve, right? And Absolutely. everything. That so that, that touches nicely on, 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 on my, my question about. Looking into the future, I mean, obviously you travel yeah. a lot. Yeah. Is that is that important? Time for a did you know insert. Technology has the power to change the world. This has never been more evident than over the past couple of years. We are fortunate to be living in an era where technology can truly aid us simplify our lives and redefine the way we go about our daily lives. The technology that we've already been exposed to and become accustomed to paves the way for more innovation and the myriad of existing and future technologies are bound to transform our lives way beyond expectations. Yeah, so you know, we, we, we find that innovation, you know, on the one hand pioneers sometimes return with arrows in their back. You know, and, and I think when we started with Digital Mall and those days of WAP, 
you know, I think that was a bit too early, maybe, you know, and one of the things I've learned over the last 23 years of having this group is that it's all about the right time to market. For example, one of the other businesses at DSG, MVNE, Mobile Virtual Network Enabler, you're sitting next to the sign. Yeah. We started in 2013, but MVNOs only started really happening around 2015, 2016. So mm. you might burn a bit of cash, mm. you know, before you actually get the market readiness. Yes. So, so, so timing is quite important. Yeah. Okay. And, and one of the things that I think we've, we're very good at now is also understanding how to kind of understand where the future is going, but when is the right appropriate time to actually bring the technology into the market for the right adoption mm. to take place where you don't just spend time educating and then not make money out of it. You know, if somebody else comes in sometimes, you know, and, and, and does it better than you if, you, if, you, if you're not careful, yeah. you know. So I think the timing of, of the time to market, the go-to-market strategy, when it's appropriate, how to build ecosystems that are relevant is something that we understand and, and we focus on. And, 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 and the technology world is being reinvented with trends like artificial intelligence, machine learning, you know, doing things smarter and more efficiently. And we like to follow those trends and see what's appropriate right now and then capture them. So we use a lot of artificial intelligence and machine learning in marketing now, you know, to be able to do better personalization recommendation. We actually have a, a webinar that we're running on the 9th of, of this month called how to take your, your marketing, how to make your marketing more personal, you know, and we use technology to do that. So that's interesting. We do that in cybersecurity, you know, we use it in, with ZenDriver on analyzing driver behavior and making the road safer through artificial intelligence and mm -hmm. machine learning and things like that, as you see in the Tesla vehicles and, yeah. and, and a lot of that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's very exciting space, but to answer your question, we, when we look at the future, we, we look at what's going to be relevant for our scenario. Sometimes technology that's working well in the U.S. is it's not Africa. It's not as we need. Africa is not the rest of the world. And I always exactly. say, I state the obvious, and we sometimes forget that. Right? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And 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 here we've got a different market, mm. and we've got some amazing innovations that come out of this market that the rest of the world could use. Like USSD, for example, is very much a, an African low-end emerging market. It's now used in Latin America and other countries as well. But USSD, which is primarily what you use to recharge your, your airtime and your, your banking initially before apps, you know, now obviously everything's moving towards mobile banking apps and everything else, yeah. has always been on, on unstructured services data, which is what USSD stands for. That's very much an African innovation. And, 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 and I think that it's amazing to see and I'm very proud of it, you know. Yeah. M-Pesa, you know, is built on USSD type technology, you know, in the initial version. Now, obviously, there's, there's, there's more, more mature versions that have uh, um, grown. Is, uh, I mean, we say, we've said now, and we all know this, America, Europe is not Africa, but South Africa is not Africa. So, so what, and you mentioned South America, are they, what, what countries in the world do I would say mirror or come close. I think South America probably is, yeah. is a good example yeah. of, of, of similar challenges that, that we face. Yeah. Um, how about Africa? What, what are the opportunities there? Yeah, so I think, I think generally in BRICS, there's, there's good opportunities. Brazil, Russia, India, China. Obviously, for obvious reasons now with the war, yeah. we're not supporting Russian companies yeah. so much yeah. and more favoring the, the Ukraine um, you know, um, support. And in fact, I've, I've instructed my team to give a lot more business now to Ukraine companies to support them during the war, which I think is quite important uh, to show our willingness. So yeah. trying to find business to give to them because they've got amazing intellectual property there. We use a company there for usability and some software development skills, cyber security skills. So okay. Some, okay. some really, really good ones. But not to get off topic, I, th I think 
for us, um, the opportunity, South Africa is, is, is very similar to, to uh, like it's got a bit of first world qualities and a bit of third world qualities. Mm -hmm. Africa is a very interesting opportunity. We find that South Africa is probably maybe very innovative, like in banking, we're one of the highest yes. uh, technology adoption in the world. When it comes to telco, we're very, very good. You know, so those sectors are flourishing in Africa, yeah. and I think it's those sectors that need to drive the innovation uh, and the digital adoption mm -hmm. on the continent. So we work primarily with financial services and telco companies across Africa. We follow our customers, but sometimes we work with local companies as well. We're very bullish about Africa. We've got a lot of projects throughout Africa. We helped launch um, a lot of uh, the second network operator in Namibia in 2006. We helped launch operators throughout Africa ever since, you know, and we launched virtual network operators throughout Africa as well and under NVNE. So it's a very exciting space. We think uh, that the space needs more competition. It needs I mean, it's, it's, very, it's very yellow. Uh, I mean, uh, telco in Africa, MTN-wise, right? I mean, they... they well, I mean, obviously a great the, success the power, power, in powerhouse in, in yeah. Africa. I see they, but they've now, they've put up their socks, they, they're focusing a bit more on South Africa now, yep. by, by, by the look of it. I think they're doing a great job, and, and we work strategically with MTN, um, but we also work with other operators. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, we, we basically always remain agnostic when it comes to a particular operator, because yeah. it's up to the client, the MVNO, to choose who they want to work with. Yes, yes. And the relationship between the MVNO and the MNO, the mobile virtual network operator, and the mobile network operator is a critical success factor. The two of them have got to work really well together. Yes. And, 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 and as the enabler, we like the glue. You know, once the MVNO decides, okay, I want to work with this uh, uh, network operator, we will put the billing and the CRM and the uh, OSS and the, and the you know, electronic voucher distribution system and the, or the full technology solution, the people, the processes, the strategy, yes. and work and help the MVNO be more successful and mitigate their risk and integrate everything into the MNO. So we, we act as the glue between the two parties. Yeah. So touching on, on, on that, I mean... What I find fascinating, obviously now with, with the telcos, the, the, uh, we actually, uh, I can't say too much, we're involved with a project uh, uh, um, with the yellow guys, and, and it's creating that stickiness. How do you keep people on the phone, on that app, the Vodacom app, the MTN app? I mean, that in itself creates a lot of opportunity. So, so what, what, what would your message be for, for, for these potential tech entrepreneurs out there. How do, I, how do I get to that right person to say, hey, I've got this. I mean, a stupid example is, uh, I think, with FinTech. I think the other day it was cute. Now it's a billion rand business for, for Vodacom, for example, right? So, and, and, and I think billing in itself, I mean, that is, the, it's incredible what's happening there with, with FinTech. Yeah. How do, I get, how, do I, how do I get to that right person to, to, to pitch? I think, I think firstly, we need more innovation to come out of South Africa, and we need the. So that's good news in the way that, that, that exactly. we're still lagging from from that standpoint. Exactly, and I, and I think I think there's huge opportunities. I think look at the market relevance, test it. Like I always say, when when entrepreneurs come to me with ideas, would you use it the service yourself? Those are some of the best businesses when you're solving your own problem. You know, when when you find that something didn't work for you, and it could be done more efficiently. Or this person's doing a great job, but they could be making a lot more money if they did this. Mm. You know, that's the kind of opportunities that you want to try and find. Mm -hmm. Focus on the business aspect. Forget about the, the, the you know, um, the trends that you're seeing internationally. 
you know, because mm-hmm. they might all not all be relevant. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's good to look at international trends and maybe adapt them to the local yeah. uh, environment. But that's not what it's all about. I think what it's all about is what problem are we solving? Mm. Okay, and if you can create either uh, an opportunity for a client to make more money or save money, okay then they'll be interested in listening Mm. to you. And if you can be totally customer-centric and totally focus on the customer and their problems and solve those problems, I think you'll build a very, very successful Mm. business. When do you stop flogging the dead horse? And 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 again, it comes now. So now you've, you've, you've got this idea, you've spotted the opportunity. You mentioned earlier that, you know, your timing is critical. And you, I can tell you a lot about timing when I launched my podcast in 2016. <laughs> it's, uh, and in many ways, it's still like, yeah, the market has woken up ever so slightly yeah. now in the last two years. But yeah. it's, 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 it's painful in many ways. But anyway, when, when you pull the plug where you say, listen, uh, I need to... And I mean, it's a thin line. Yeah. I, th- I think if you want to be an innovator, you've got to understand that part of the formula is that you've got to fail fast mm. to succeed. Okay, and the quicker you so, so actually don't look at it negatively. Okay, always look at it positively. And and positive thing is that I'm going to find a whole bunch of ways that it's not working until I find the way that it is working. Right? It's almost like that's the starting, that's the starting block. Point. Let's, yeah. let's find it's that. Like, the, in sales, we say work. that you know you're going to get nine yeses before uh, nine no's before you get a yes, right? So so like every no is actually welcome, but you've got to understand why people are rejecting it, and then maybe reinvent your value proposition. Yeah. And 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 really listen to your market. I think that's really important. You know, and make sure that you're relevant as I keep on saying, you know. So, so I think that um, if you're convinced that something is going to happen, your resilience and your ability to be true to your cause is often a test that you're going to go through if, you, if you're very innovative, you know. And those so if it's, not, if it's, not, if it's not happening, you, yeah. you, that in itself is a problem. Exactly. <laughs> if, you don't, if you're not exactly. experiencing these challenges. If you're not experiencing challenges, that, that is a problem. And if you look at Amazon, they, it took them a long time to mm. turn. But when they turned, it was massive. Mm. Okay? Mm. And, and, you know, they stuck around and they, and they, and they made it happen. And uh, I think that um, you need to have tenacity to be in business. If, if you don't feel that you are resilient or tenacious, then don't be an entrepreneur. Mm. You know, if you're not passionate about your idea enough to hold on to it mm. until it comes to fruition and making it happen. Yeah. I mean, you must have heard this before. I think in the first year, it could have sold 25 bottles or something like that. You know? right. Today, it's over a billion a day. Mm. Okay? Mm. So it's up to you. Yeah. you know? where, where do you want to... If, if you believe in your idea, you're passionate about it, then see it through. Uh, there isn't a, a, a hard and fast rule of when you actually say, I'm just giving up and I'm not gonna, this is not going to work and, and uh, I'm not going to do it. I've never given up on digitalmall.com. I, always, I felt I was too early. Yes. And when I bought the business back, you know, I focused on things that made me money now. Yes. Okay. And I held on to the brand and then I relaunched it in 2020. But that, that vision was there. The, the vision, vision was there. Was but then when I reinvented it in 2020, so my email signature says, born 1998, reborn 2020, because, you know, we relaunched it in yeah, 2020. Yeah. Obviously, we're in 98, we looked off the big brand retailers and it was a very yeah. different business model and we were 
very hard working at the logistics and everything else. Today, a lot of the logistics companies are far more mature. They've done this. They're getting ready for it. It's much nicer in business environment, actually. And when we relaunched, we looked at the current scenario and what will be relevant for today's consumer, not the consumer then, mm-hmm. and, and reinvented it. And I'm very excited. It's still my baby, you know, mm-hmm. to, to make it a big business, you know. Yes. Um, and I think that the support that we're getting as well as, a, as an organization from the industry and consumers has been phenomenal. And, and I think that we need more competition. And don't be discouraged. You know, it's like the, the, the story about the shoe salesperson who arrives in Africa and goes back and says, I don't think there's an opportunity because nobody wears shoes, you know. And then the second sales guy comes back and says, whoa, there's a huge opportunity. Nobody's no wearing shoes. shoes. <laughs> you know, which way do you want to look at it, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so for me, that's the kind of innovative dilemma. Right at the beginning, you're not going to have anybody wearing shoes, you know. Yes. You might be designing this amazing shoe yeah. with the hope that everybody's going to work it. That's almost been my digital journey in Africa. We started really early. We spoke about the digital divide, how things are going to change. Now I'm seeing this amazing change happening and adoption levels becoming really meaningful. Yeah. And it's exciting, you know. Uh, and you've got, to, you've got to have the tenacity to be able to hold on for 23 years like we yes. have and constantly focus on doing great things that are relevant for your timing knowing that some of the futuristic stuff that may have looked futuristic three, four years ago is going to about to happen. It's it's around the corner, yeah. And you've got to prepare for it and and be ready for it. Yeah, Uh, I love that. Love that. So, Youth Month, I think what would be appropriate two questions, really, is who inspires you? Right. And when we talk about, especially startups, mentors, peers, almost masterminds, Give us your take on that. How does, what does it look like? So who inspires you? And at whose feet do you sit? Where do you get that inspiration? Who do you, whose shoulder do you cry on? <laughs> I'm very lucky to have an amazing mentor and uh, our chairman of the group. He's been my client. He was uh, the CEO of Staking Core in 2000 when I helped him turn Staking Core around. And uh, we did the Stekinico Vitality Partnership together mm. and I built the e-commerce for Stekinico. And today he's the chairman of our group and he's, he's been with me since 2000 when he became my client. We've been remained good friends and wow. it's always been my mentor. I've got uh, um, other mentors that I often take for lunch once a month for every couple of months. And, and always so you're very deliberate about the, the, the taking that, mean, myself, that mentor. I surround myself with amazing people that are hugely creative. I employ people that are much smarter than me, that I really get stimulated by. I get my inspiration from a lot of different places, mm-hmm. not just from particular people, but I'm just sharing that I make a point of yeah. surrounding myself with amazing people that I can learn from. I'm very quick to share my ideas as well with people that I trust yes. and bounce it around. And I, I enjoy the ideation component mm-hmm. and I enjoy building solutions. And, and I think we've built quite a nice culture at DSG as well of this like, you know, it's kind of fun to do the impossible, Walt Disney. You know, mm. like we'll take on any challenge yeah. and, and be able to build a solution around it. Um, and and I, I think it shows in our innovation credo through the years, but it also, the fact that people still love working here. I mean, one of, mm. one of my biggest um, joys is that one of the top CEOs of our group is, has been with me for 22 years out wow. of the 23 years, yeah. you know. Yeah, and and if we keep it exciting and we're having fun, we say yeah. that the, our brand at DSG is serious fun. Yeah. So if, we, if we're serious about what we do, we have a lot of fun in the process. And we constantly make sure that we only take on work that we love doing and we believe in. I think that's quite important, you know. And, and, and that adds a lot of value you know, so my, my advice to entrepreneurs is, yes, if you want to play better golf, you'll go to the pro. 
surround yourself with people that are better than you, mm. are smarter than you, mm. you know, that you intellectually can stimulate them and they can stimulate you in return. Mm. I think mm. that's very, very important. So I'm very blessed to have an amazing team around me and a, an amazing support structure. And, and different people inspire, inspire me. Even, you know, uh, I, I recently sent an email out for some feedback around our chilled ice cream that I mentioned to you. Yes, I actually made a note about your ice cream. I want to talk about the ice cream. So we're coming up with a whole brand story right now about it, why healthy ice cream is important and how ice cream doesn't have any drama and everything else. So an agency came up with an amazing kind of like conversation. I shared it with all my team to get everybody's feedback. There isn't Mm -hmm. like, oh, this is a marketing. And some of the best feedback I got were from like sales guys, from developers, from, you know, people that are not in marketing because they're consumers and they love ice cream, right? So they're going to give me the best opinion, right? So, 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 you know, I think having an open mind to learning from anybody and constantly learning. I'm quite fortunate my grandfather used to own a bookshop, so I grew up working in a bookshop as well, you know, and I read a lot of books since I was young and that stuck with me. So I love learning. I constantly do research. I constantly get inspired. I constantly reinvent myself. My Twitter handle is I reinvent myself every single day. Okay. And you have to, you know, I always talk about how companies' business design has got to be reinvented over and over again in order to remain customer relevant, mm-hmm. you know, because uh, customers have moved, they've changed, they yes. use different tools, they do, yeah. they, 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 their needs are different because of uh, the abuse of consumer data now, they're very anti about sharing their data, you need to understand that, you've got to practice permission marketing, yes. you've got to do things correctly, uh, and if you understand all of these things and you're keeping your pulse on what customers want, um, I think you'll, you'll build a very successful business, you know. Great advice. So before we get to, to the ice cream, yes, I want to circle back to Silver Surface slash Baby Boomers Online. Um, so we've got obviously youth, we know what's coming, fantastic opportunities. It was shocking for me to see how on average, and this is relevant in the UK, this is relevant in, in, in the States, I think South Africa very similar, that the bulk of the disposable income sits with this segment, but on average, 5% of the marketing spends focus on, 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 on the silver surface. What's your take on that? I think that, you know, the relationship marketing economics are very simple. Generally, 20% of your customers generate 80% of your revenue, mm. okay? And those silver surfers or baby boomers are those 20%, you know? And therefore, if they're generating 80% of the revenue, then that's where the focus should be, okay? And you can see with private banking, for example, how profitable it can be when you focus on less customers, but customers that are very profitable. So, so I think that, that kind of concept is very well, very familiar to most uh, people, uh, but not very... Not, not many people actually practice it, and it's quite important. So for me, the guys that have huge disposable income, um, for example, uh, if you read a book called The Wellness Revolution, they say it's going to be bigger than the whole technology industry because what do you spend money on if you're a baby boomer and you've got all this extra cash because you were born with a bit of money and you created more wealth yeah. and everything else, you're going to spend it on your longevity, on mm. your wellness, mm. okay? And I think... Um, it's quite an interesting way of understanding who are your most profitable customers and maybe also helping the emerging customer, 
you know, uh, become more profitable by lowering cost to serve, by using digital transformation to create more efficiency, mm-hmm. giving different customers tools. You've seen how in the banking industry, because they're very mature in their thinking, all of a sudden telephone banking, which when I started with contact centers, as I mentioned to you in, in those late, yeah. ni- you know, late 90s, you know, call centers was that the telephone banking was what it's, what it's all about. Now yes. we're trying to deflect the customer from the phone to a mobile app because mm-hmm. it's cheaper to let them serve serve then then phone the contact center and we actually charge for you if you want to phone the contact center because yes. it's an expensive interaction for us you know and the way you kind of migrate customers into more cost effective channels and you lower your cost to serve makes you more profitable in the long term that kind of thinking has evolved a lot and I'm willing to share uh, you know, with my customer, you know, that mm-hmm. customers have become much more empowered, you know, and I think that's great. You know, the voice of the customer is heard yeah. a lot easier through social channels and social media. So, you know, the way you actually deal with customers and the way you actually focus on, on these relationship dynamics yeah. is really, really important. So I think definitely the silver leaves, the baby boomers, that's where a big focus on, especially in financial services and in telco, uh, you know, a lot of energy is being placed on that particular uh, vertical, okay? And I think those consumers are very sophisticated these days and will maybe start an interaction with you over the phone while they're driving, continue on social, later do it via the app, you know? So you've got to have like consistency of understanding of the customer behavior so you can represent the brand correctly and by understanding the customer better, build better relationships yeah. with those customers and be able to be more t- uh, attentive to their needs, you know, and, and anticipate their needs, you know. I, I love that because what, what, what I find shocking is that, I mean, in particular, and, and the, again, because I'm involved, uh, I write for a specific magazine that's, that's targeting, so I was, and I'm touching on this tech stuff. There's one particular bank... Basically, I remember this, this lady was saying that um, if you don't know how to use the, the smartphone, um, madam or sir, baby boomer, ask your grandchildren. Yeah. I thought, no, open your bloody call, call center, right? Because if, if, if that's the starting point of the journey and, or they, that's where they feel loved, like, and I like what you said, you know, it's like not everybody wants to call in, but I find that especially, uh, I would say, the Afrikaners for that matter. If you talk to an ba- Afrikaan, uh, Afrikaans baby boomer, they'll say, I want to I talk to someone. Yeah. I want to call. I don't want, don't, don't well, you know point what's interesting? me to, to, we are, to that. Yeah. yeah. What's interesting is when you've got a customer care issue, you want to talk to somebody because it's easier to explain. You also want to express your emotion. It's part of, you know, how you kind of like, um, you know, uh, are able to express yourself. But what's interesting is that I'm finding the Z gen or, or you know the, the youth of today because they grew up with WhatsApp. They prefer text. They prefer chat. Yes. We're seeing interactions and moving from phone calls more to in-app chats or on social having a chat or or yes. whatever the case may be. And the response times of organisations, interestingly enough, has become phenomenal on social because the expectations much higher. Mm. So almost like this younger generation is forcing brands to be better at their customer service, ah. which is which is great. Yes, and I think it makes all of us want to lift our game, you know, mm. because we want to retain those customers and we want to make sure that we grow the the relationship with them and the lifetime value of those customers. So certainly seeing a very interesting shift in consumer behavior and how brands respond 
to what consumers really want and tap into their real motivations, you know. And, and the insight that we can get to there about customers is also quite amazing because of all the digital technologies that we have in terms of if they're opting into the relationship and they give us permission to get to know them, we can get to know them really well. And then personalize the experience and make sure that we anticipate their needs. So, uh, you know, if you're about to run out of eggs because you bought eggs for me before, I might send you a reminder, hey, I've noticed that you buy eggs always on the 20th. You're probably running out now. Would you yes. like some eggs? You know, yeah. Just as yeah. one example, yes. you know. Uh, and, 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 and that reminder, because I'm reminding you, might end up in a purchase for me because I'm serving you better and reminding you and giving you... I'm just using yeah, so, a very so, simple so, so, example. So I'm spending... So not only am I happy with your great service, I'm now opening my wallet. Mm-hmm. It's a double win. Exactly. What I love about, you know, again, the example, you, and it comes back to... I think here's my take on, on, on the baby boom, especially in banking, for example. I find that it, it, the, the banks are... It's a one-size-fits-all. They're not applying 80-20 rule in this instance. But... I think, and I understand why you're driving, you touched on it, the fact that you want to drive everything through digital platforms is because of big data just enables you to analyze the data and make better decisions and service the customers better. But what's incredible is the fact that you now, you can drive someone to a telephone call and with AI, as you mentioned earlier, that you can start, yeah, you can speak to them on the phone still, because it's this, this unique niche segment you're servicing and it's worthwhile. Because they're gonna, they, you're gonna make more money. You can charge yeah. more, but you can still. You're not losing out on data. Exactly. And I think, because I think that's probably the fear. Let's not talk on the phone because then we don't have proper data. We can't, we can't analyze properly. Yeah, the idea is to bring that data into a single data warehouse and still be able to analyze. The phone is a critical interaction. So what we do for a lot of the brands that we look after is we build a single view of the customer, a customer data platform for them, and we bring interactions from different channels and different systems mm. into a single environment so we can understand the customer better. Yes. So, you know, today also sales, marketing, and service have come very, very closely together. Like, don't try and sell to somebody if they're unhappy with customer service. Mm. And that's why information silos can actually destroy a customer relationship. If you're yes. not aware that you're phoning to try and sell me, for example, Example, an insurance policy from the bank on my home loan, but I had a huge issue with my home loan and the incorrect amount yes. was billed and whatever. And I'm upset with it. Don't try and come and sell me insurance uh, for my home loan at that particular point, right? Yes. You should wait to resolve my issue. And actually, when you resolve my issue, is the best time to sell to me. Why? Because that relationship of trust. I've almost kind of got your trust back because I've now yes. resolved your complaint. Yes. I've, I've dealt with the issue that you had. At that point, uh, because brands don't, are not really well trusted by consumers, when you rebuild that trust, it's a beautiful opportunity to say, listen, we now fix this issue with your home loan debit order or yep. whatever the case may be. By the way, while I'm fixing your debit order right now, I could offer you very competitive insurance of 200 grand a month that will cover everything. Are you interested? And most of the time, the guys are so happy that you've resolved the previous issue, they're going to go for it, wow. you know? And, and that is what the art of relationship marketing is about. It's about, like in real life, having real relationships. We've got to treat customers like they're part of the family, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and if we do that, and we treat people like, uh, give them the, the right way to express what they want, and we give them what they want, you, you'll build amazing relationships with customers and, and grow an amazing business in the long term. You know? I, I think that the, the, the motor industry needs to, to give you a call because I find that the, the silos is incredible. I mean, yeah. I've, I've received phone calls where you're happy with your car. I've got, you know, what the make outside. I, I, two at one stage and it's like, no, I, 
can I interest you in this one? Now I have it. I have this model. Yeah. You fool. <laughs> like exactly. you're, trying to, you're trying to sell me the car I have. And by the way, did you know I have this one? No, we yeah. didn't. And it's like, and then you get another call from the, it's incredible actually in, 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 in yeah. the motor retail space, how those yeah. silos, and I, I suspect there's one uh, dealership uses John and, 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 and uh, for, for, for call center management and the guy in, in Cape Town uses uh, Susan, you know, and, and, and it's, yeah. There's not that centralized yeah. database that understands. And we don't like that as consumers because we like to, but we only want to work with brands that care about us mm. and care about, truly care about us, you know. So, um, you know, if, if we feel that the brand doesn't know us well, or they don't know enough about us, or they don't take the time to get to know us, we'll vote with our wallet somewhere else, mm. you know. And I think that that's what's happened to you. It's like, guys, I've got two of your vehicles. Surely you should, in this day and age, yeah. know that. And yes. try and, like, you know, speak to me about uh, upgrading maybe to the next one, not b about buying another one. Yes. You know, I mean, uh, th that's that's where the knowledge should be, and I think that's where relationships start is getting yeah. to know your customers. Yeah. After you get to know them, you can start looking at trends. And what we do with artificial intelligence and machine learning now is we see, oh, customers that do this also do this. Maybe we should recommend the same thing to other customers that look like that customer. And that way, we are more successful. Amazon introduced that very early. But customers who read this book also read this book. Don't you want to buy it? Yes. You know, that kind of thinking can be applied to a lot of different strategies you know, yeah. to be able to increase your sell and upselling capability, you know, and, and get a better recommendations to customers by, by understanding them and segmenting them properly. Mm. And the banks do segment their customers, but, you know, maybe it's not apparent, apparent yet because their one-to-one -one marketing strategies or your particular experience was not as relevant as you wanted it to be. Yeah. But they all have great, amazing tools to segment and, you know, that's why they give you a gold card and a platinum card and all of these kind of things. But it's very product-focused rather than customer I just, want to, I, I just want to say, and, yeah. and, and, and I think we can go on about this because this yeah. is fascinating, is the fact that, yeah, it's based on income mm. versus interest. And, exactly. and those two go hand in, I would say, and and and. Yeah. 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 So there's, yeah, a lot of them. Yeah. So last but not least, ice cream. Yes. <laughs> if you're comfortable, tell us where it started. Yeah. And then just tell us what's, what's happening. It's, 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 okay. I love this. Love this. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, I mean, I'm very open about the fact that um, I was diagnosed with uh, cancer last year in, in March and had a, uh, because I'm special, I had three types of cancer. I had uh, um, colon cancer, I had two types. Uh, and I had quite a big operation on my con on my colon, so it's a joke now. I say that I'm a semi-colon, <laughs> and and then um, uh, because I'm special, I also had kidney cancer at the same time, and uh, dealt with that later uh, last year, and had my right kidney removed. So I'm now a single, a semi-colon, single kidney. Okay, uh, but th thankfully I managed to through food and changing my diet, and also very positive attitude and. Uh, a lot of meditation, um, overcome cancer, and I tested cancer-free last week. Uh, and I'm very grateful to Fantastic. be here to tell the story. And I decided not to do chemotherapy and treat myself naturally. And part of it was changing the diet. They yes. say the diet is at least 20, 30% of how you can heal yourself. A lot of the time, 
dis-ease, or you know, the disease stands for dis-ease, okay, uh, happens because we of stress. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I work in a very high-stress environment, so I'm sure that had an impact. But when I decided to deal with, with cancer, I decided to deal with it holistically, change my spiritual understanding of what it is, because I dealt with a lot of trauma in my life. My mother died of cancer, my, my father, my grandfather, my aunt has it. So it was all over the family. So I had to break this ancestor kind of like, oh, I'm doomed because everybody yeah, else yeah. died from cancer. I'm going to die from cancer. Yeah, so yeah, I had to yeah. change that mindset. Okay, But I also changed my diet. And, and how the ice cream started is actually... Six weeks after my colon cancer operation, I decided to just go and reset and went to Greece and carried on working and, and to Israel and, and had a, an amazing time away because we can, as we spoke about earlier, yeah. uh, during the pandemic, work from anywhere. And I decided to work from anywhere. And uh, I met this amazing guy in Greece who was my girlfriend there's um, uh, neighbor. And he said to me that... Uh, he makes ice cream and I should try his ice cream and I said to him look I, I don't do sugar because sugar yes. is like the worst thing for because I know you, you cut out alcohol completely as well yeah because alcohol is full of sugar so, but, yeah, but yeah. sugar particularly it's, it's, it's a well known fact yes it's, it's like, a fuel for cancer it's a fuel for cancer yeah. it's like throwing oil on the fire yeah. like literally and, 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 and what I decided to do is completely cut sugar so I could starve the cancer cells and, and fast a lot and, and then build new body cells to kind of naturally change the balance, if you like, and create my body. It's autophagy. To... Isn't it autophagy part of the fasting? Just exactly, because you're, you're generating new body cells, yeah. and therefore your body, new body cell count goes higher than your cancer cell count, and eventually you kind just of turn it, and you can reset your system, because cancer is actually a, a complete collapse of the autoimmune system. Sure. But to cut a long story short and tell you about the ice cream, um, what was interesting is I said to him, look, maybe you should try some coconut base and supposed to milk because I don't do milk products and I've changed my diet. I'm eating very clean so I don't do sugar. Maybe use agave or dates or yeah. uh, hibiscus of natural sugars because I'm all about natural sugar but no refined sugar. Yeah, yeah. So, for example, our granadella ice cream that you tried the other day was, is a pure, pure fruit pulp. You know, as you taste it, you could yeah. taste the fruit, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. and it does not artificial. So you don't have that sugar spike that you normally get after you eat ice cream and that horrible feeling afterwards. It feels great while you're eating it and it satisfies your need for the sugar, the craving for the sugar. But actually, as you know, sugar creates a huge spike and then it drops very quickly yes, as well. Yes. Where with natural ingredients, which is what we use in our ice cream, which is called chilled, okay, is, is unbelievable because you feel good after you feel the ice cream, as I asked you, and you did feel great. Yeah, I think. It was yeah. so delicious. Awesome. And, and, and really what we try and do as well, not try and do, we do, is focus on the nutrient value of everything that we serve under the chilled brand. So if you're going to eat something, it's going to add value to your system. Mm. Okay. Mm. So we only focus focusing on natural ingredients healthy ice cream and ice cream without the drama and that's why it's chilled you know it doesn't cause any negative effects for you in the long term you know and uh, quite interesting as part of my cancer research after I decided to come up with this ice cream I started reading about the Real Food Network which is actually uh, started by um, you know Ocean Robbins who's who comes from the Robbins family, okay, which was Baskin and Robbins, which is an ice cream family. Yes. And his father, okay, wrote amazing books, okay, John Robin, 
uh, about uh, eating healthy and how food is the real medicine and started this movement and decided not to inherit the ice cream business okay, and start this whole focus on the Real Food Network and leave the family business behind, fortunes behind, and focus on... Yeah, I mean, the best ice cream in the UK is Baskin Robbins. Exactly, exactly. That's what they say. Okay, that's what they say. Yeah, they haven't, we haven't launched in the UK. I just want to say, until okay, just before you chill, arrive. Chill is coming to the UK soon, so we'll change that. But, but I mean, it's a very well-known ice cream brand, and, and that story fascinated me afterwards, how it kind of like spiritually, I came to know about it, and... It was amazing to listen to them talk about how, you know, food should really be used without the sugar and everything else. But they didn't see the opportunity to create healthy ice cream, which everybody loves. And being an IT guy, you know, I love this quote from Steve Jobs, you know, that says that if you want to make everybody happy, don't be a leader, sell ice cream. It's actually on the wall here. Okay. Uh, it's on the wall. So I guess through my transformation last year, I decided to make everybody happy. And I, wanna, I just want to sell ice cream. And, and obviously, I'm growing the group, the DSG, and, and doing great things there. But at the same time, decided to start this chilled ice cream brand. We're launching it in South Africa now. And we'll be launching in Greece soon as well because Tasso, my, my partner, is from Greece and, and he's the guy who invented the ice cream. Yeah, because, of story, COVID, yeah, because of COVID, we had problems with the ice cream machine that comes from Italy. So, you know, we, we, we're getting it hopefully next week and then we'll start producing more ice cream. We'll invite you to the launch. It's going to be amazing. should be around August, September. Um, and we're getting ready for it. So it's really exciting. And I think it will be a good time as well just for spring to be able yeah. to launch a, a new ice cream bread that's healthy, makes you feel good. And we're also doing CBD ice cream, which is uh, really nice. And uh, we're doing some THC ice cream. Uh, they say that the legalities around that will change. We, everything that we do is by the law. Yeah. And, you know, we're obviously only selling whatever's legal. But, but it, it does show that it has a, a nice chilling effect, CBD for, only. For sure. And hence the brand Chilled yeah, and yeah. CBD ice cream and good ice cream that doesn't come with a drama and makes you feel really, really great and tastes really good, as you know. Love it. And, 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 and I'm saying this, yeah, on the... I, I want some for our coffee shop as well. And we've, we've discussed we're going to we're gonna we're launch gonna it there. We're going to be the Pretoria, whatever, yeah, the first little ice cream chilled depots over yeah, there. We'll have a chilled fridge there for you, yeah. okay, with all the ice creams right. and you'll be able to. And I'm probably going to eat all of it. So, <laughs> eat my profits. Exactly. You know? We always say that you've got to drink your own champagne. Yeah, yeah, you know? it, exactly. Drink your own champagne. Yeah. Ron, thank you so much. It's, yeah. It was fantastic talking to you. Thank you so much for your time. It's Absolutely. inspirational, it's, it's so exciting. And um, you know what? I think South Africa, the, 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 what I get out of this interview and conversation is really hope. And it's not a false hope. It's, it's, it's exciting that, that, you know, we've got so much to offer the world. And we're sitting, in, and thanks to guys like you, you know, we're sitting on the best of the best. And, and I'm really excited. I think it's just... I'm again, once again, confirmation why I'm so happy to be back, right? And, exactly. Uh, and, I think and, Africa's got omnipotent potential. I think it's, it's really exciting. We just need to all, you know, be innovative and, mm. and focus. You, you know, we spoke about ICT. For me, ICT, I gave a TED talk in Soweto, and I mentioned that ICT is about innovation, creativity, and talent. Mm. Okay? It's not just information, mm. communication, mm. technology. And if we can come up with innovative ideas, like I mentioned to you, to create youth employment, mm. uh, get the right you know, creativity and, and inspiration for youth to do amazing things and then 
build talent and, and position Africa as a place where it's not just about the natural resources that we have mm. over here, it's also about the amazing people that we have and the talent and the ability to offer cybersecurity from here to the rest of the world and contact centers mm. and do amazing software development and all of these amazing things which India and the Philippines managed to create amazing jobs and really pull themselves up from an emerging market yes. into a very strong economy. I mean, look at China and, and yeah. how strong the UN is and, and everything else. We can do the same thing as an emerging economy currently where the next billion consumers everybody knows are going to come out of Africa. I think it's a really brilliant opportunity for us to stay focused on the prize and, and, and be grateful for the amazing uh, opportunity that we get mm. uh, and be the other salesperson who sells shoes and say, because nobody's got shoes, this is the right opportunity for us. And I think that's that's should, should be the focus going forward. Love it. Excellent. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave a review and follow us on social media at Biz, B-I-Z, Crush.